Let's do this. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. For the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. I had a feeling that the Oilers could win one in Boston, even though that feeling was probably misguided, considering Boston had only lost once before in regulation time. I just, um, you know, the Oilers, I thought, played a good game against Buffalo, despite losing in overtime, and they played an even better game. This is one of those, and we talked about this, Bruce, they're capable of coming up with this kind of tight-checking, strong game against a good team. We've seen it five, six times this year, and we just saw it again. Uh, this was a very even game. Both teams had 10 grade-A scoring chances. Um, and it and it came down to, this is my, my theory of hockey right now, that every game comes down to two key bounces, two key brain farts, and two key excellent plays. And I think you could make a strong case that that was the, that was the difference tonight. And we're going to go through some of these in our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast. Bruce, what is your good thing? Deuces are wild, eh? Uh, I got to go with Mike Smith as my good thing. And it's a good thing that, uh, that he seems to have recovered his mojo after a dreadful, dreadful run of... Uh, almost two months duration where he was having trouble making a save. Uh, but he sure made a bunch of saves today, 21 in the third period alone, as the Oilers defended, mostly defended a two-goal lead. Um, and a lot of that was Boston shooting from everywhere. Like, it wasn't like every one of them was a golden chance from in close by any means. There was uh, a lot of traffic and a lot of staunch defending going on. But the fact remains that Boston was peppering uh, Smith with shots and a few pretty tricky ones, too. Six grade-A chances in the third period, that's, Bruce. That's a, that's a fair number. It's not 21, but it's not zero yeah. either. You know, I mean, they were they were getting uh, getting some good looks and even a couple of their B chances. Like when you have David Pasternak firing a slap shot just inside the far post, I don't care what the angle is, that's a tough save for the netminder. And uh, he fought those pucks off. And, you know, he's... Uh, Fighting the puck off is what he does when he's on his game, I think. Like, he's never smooth. And he almost, he, he had one near disaster when a Pasternak shot from the sideboard somehow went through his blocker. It didn't go in. But you know what? The other team's goalie let in a shot from the same spot. And when was the last time we could say that the Oilers got a big goal on a great B chance and that the other team didn't get one? You know, that the, the Oilers actually won because they had a goalie who made fewer mistakes than the other goalie. Bruce, I was thinking this whole game, they just the Oilers are just a team in desperate need of a bounce. Like, mm-hmm. when was the, and, and the same thought occurred to me. And it's probably because we're Oilers fans that we think this way. Maybe they get more bounces than we think and more calls than we think. And that's probably the truth. But they really did need uh, a lucky goal. And that if that had happened against the Oilers, you and I right now would be talking about what an absolute, this is an absolute, it was a double backbreaker. Is it a triple? It's a double backbreaker because it's in the dying seconds of a period on a crappy shot the goalie should have. Like that is, that is an absolute team killing play by Boston's goalie. And uh, nice to see the other team's goalie do it now and then. Well, you know, both goalies today were number 41, and it was a 4-1 game. So how's that for for uh, a confluence of things? But uh, uh, honestly, the Oilers had third-time road game in a row. They took a 2-1 lead into the third period. 
And in neither of the last two games could they hold the lead, let alone build on it. Well, tonight what they did was they actually were able to to score a goal and to uh, to actually extend that lead a little bit and give themselves a little bit of breathing room. And in the end, they you know they they Boston never even cut cut it back down again. But uh, I think I'll defer to your good thing to talk about that uh, three to one goal. So yeah, my good thing is two little things. The first one was a subtle thing on Gaetan Haas's shot. I loved how he smashed the ice with his stick just mm-hmm. before he shot that puck. That was great. That was that was a fantastic little move. And I bet you if he hadn't done that, he doesn't score. Right out of the playbook of Linus Omark. Is that what remember I'm... him doing that in his first NHL game on the shootout against Tampa Bay. You remember when he did the spinorama and they were all mad at him? Uh-huh. But he came in, but what he did to fool the goalie, was he whacked a stick on the ice and then shot. And it's just like this sort of quarter-second delay between the sound and the actual puck leaving the guy's stick. And that's exactly what Haas did there. I, I commented on Twitter, and I said it was an omarkable shot by uh, by Haas. <laughs> I hadn't remembered Omark did it, doing it, but that was a great play by Haas. And my second one is uh, Cassian's pass on McDavid's goal. And you know what? The Oilers came out. Um, flat-footed, Nurse had to give away, Larson had to give away. They were ready to give away that game at that point. And, uh, but McDavid came out, Bruce, in the third. Like, he has been playing fantastic, actually, for the last two or three weeks, I think. He's been playing fantastic as a two-way hockey player mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks. And he came out flying and not backing off and not willing to let the other team dictate to the Oilers. He had made up his mind, I'm going for it. And he, if someone, there's no better player on earth to make, you know, when that, when he does make up his mind to do that, go for it than McDavid. So he was obviously key uh, in that whole sequence. But the Cassian pass, the B, so this is the kind of pass where if it was picked off, people would be just, you know, Twitter would have exploded in rage and uh, um, condemnation of Zach Cassian because it's a it's a behind the back <laughs> backhand pass in the offensive zone to a kind of I guess it would maybe cross seam it but it was kind of to a trailing player so that's the kind of pass everyone hates they just hate it we all hate dry, it dry when it, when it goes yes. when it goes wrong but when it goes right <laughs> hey you, you score yeah. a goal and that's why mm-hmm. they do it right that's why players try to. It's so hard to score a goal. You have to, you, you know, you're looking for any edge, and sometimes it's that pass that creates the chance and the and the goal. So, Zach Cassian perfectly executed that pass, and uh, so that's my uh, that's the other good little play that I I take as my good thing. Yeah, he's got some some surprisingly finesse skills, Cassian, especially on the backhand side of his stick. He's very good off the backhand, and especially so for a right shot. It seems to me that. That uh, not 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 as many of the right shots are skilled on the on the backhand, but he he pre- almost prefers to go that way, and he makes good plays off of that side of his stick. And that was a nice soft pass. And anytime you find McDavid with space, that's a good pass. And uh, McDavid was after being stoned by Halak a couple times earlier in the game, uh, made no mistake on that one. And I'm 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 with you in that. I think uh, McDavid's been playing well, but I thought today was his best game in a while. I thought he he was uh, really had the, the offensive game going, and he was solid uh, all over the ice. So, you know, I'm really liking the Oilers' top two lines right now, Bruce. I mean, this has been kind of remarkable for two, three, maybe three games in a row. 
um, at least two games in a row where the Oilers' top two lines have really functioned very well uh, almost all game long. So, um, you know, Yamamoto's made this huge difference, I think, because a time and again we see during the game where he actually makes a little pass that would have got the, the other guy out there, whoever it was going to be, and they've tried lots of players, Chase on, Nigard, all these guys, but Yamamoto's been able to connect with Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins to make that unit finally work. And McDavid's capable of lifting up other players, but Cassian's, all year long, he's been stride for stride with McDavid, so good for Zach Cassian this year. And James Neal, you know, there, there's people in Calgary who will insist that it was a garbage-for-garbage garbage trade. I don't, no way. I don't buy that for a second. James Neal, um, he has some bad games. He's got some bad moments at even strength, but he can score on the power play, and he's 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 hangs in there on a top line with McDavid. So he came out my- today with five hits in the first period, James Neal. Oh yeah, and right. and the most telling of them was when he crunched David Pasternak into the boards, and this was a few minutes after Pasternak had crunched Oscar Klapbaum on basically the opening minute of the game, and you, you know sometimes the players who get hit take a number and sometimes their teammates take a number and I have an idea that Neil knew who he was hitting there and he put a little extra into it and I didn't mind that at all. Sweet. I love it when guys go to bat for their for their teammates and exact a little, you know, not, not, just not revenge but just, you know, you, they hit you, you hit them and you take it to them and you don't, no, no quarter, you know, just go after them and Neil, uh, Neil mashed past and pretty good there. Boston seems to have about six players who are all the same. They all look exactly the same, seem to look and play the exact same superlative way. They're all about 5'11", 5'10", and about 190 pounds, 200 pounds, strong on their skates, extremely calm and clever with the puck, strong on the puck. So there's like, there's Pasternak, uh, Bergeron, Marchand, Krejci, Krug, McAvoy. It's like watching the, and I'd accuse them of cloning players, except if they could clone players, they would have cloned six, nine, 250 pound players. (laughs) But if they're all these same, and they're really dangerous hockey players, every single one of them, they just puck protect so well. They're so clever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that Pasternak, wow, what a, what a hockey player he is. Bruce, what's your bad thing? Yeah. I'm going to tag, and I like this guy's game today, but Josh Archibald, man, you got to hit the empty net, man. 40 feet out, two minutes to go in a 3-1 game. You you put that in, you're home and cooled out, right? It's 4-1, the game's over. And somehow he hits the side of the net from, you know, straight straight on, not quite straight on shot, but, you know, sort of inside edge of the top of the face-off circle. You just, I mean, NHL players, you got to be able to hit the net from there. Owners have been... So so uh, uh, reluctant to score empty net goals, it seems like. And sometimes, you know, with a clean opportunity, and somehow, somehow they blow it. And that one, uh, the puck came down the other way, of course. And if not for a great defensive play by Oscar Kleffbaum, Boston scores to make it 3-2 with about a minute and a half to go. And now it's really game on until, you know, until the whistle. So... Uh, a, a little knock on, on Josh Archibald. Like I say, I didn't mind most of his game. You just got to score on that chance. I mean, it's a yes. net. There's no goalie in there. You're allowed to shoot at the center of the net. 
He was stick checked on the shot. So, so the play that he had actually, long, he had an, he took too long. He had an early, he had an early touch of the puck and the, the, in retrospect, the right play would have been shooting it in from outside the blue line, but he wanted to carry it in for a sure shot. But by the time he took the second touch of the puck, uh, the guy stick checks him. So I agree. Like, you know, sure. he should have shot it earlier. Thank goodness. Uh, Dreisaitl finally got a cheapie. I always loved those when Gretzky used to get them because he used to, mm-hmm. he got a lot of them. I think you've pointed out how many he got. How many did he get in his career? He, well, he had at least 50 because I remember when he got number 50 and they kind of made a big so, deal of it. Yeah, so this is probably dry settles first. So it's nice uh, to no, see. No, they got one against Rangers earlier this year. Okay. On a Saturday afternoon and a four-one win. Just saying, but uh, he uh, he had none all the last year, and he lost the Rock Richard Trophy by one goal to Alex Ovechkin, who had four empty netters. So maybe he learned from that bitter experience to 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 power in and score, and when he gets a chance in the empty net, which he did, that was a really nice pass to himself off the wall and finish the job. So, so Bruce, my bad thing is uh, I was going to mention a, a couple plays, mistakes by Oilers in this game, but I, on a certain level, I think that's unfair because this was largely a mistake-free game by the Oilers. It was not a mistake-free game, but a brain cramp-free game by the Oilers. There was, uh, just before McDavid's goal, there was a shift where uh, the players on Drysaddle's line all made a, they all probably, at least one or two of them, and maybe Drysaddle the most, made a bad line change. And there was another play later where Yamamoto gave up the puck. But Drew Romanda pointed out both of those on the broadcast. So I'm just repeating what Drew said. Everybody knows these things already as mistakes. I'm going to go with the bad bounce uh, because this is what had me thinking about bounces. You know, the puck goes off Chris Russell. Uh, his stick into the top corner of the oh, net. Sure. Three minutes, three minutes into the game, and like initially, we're all blaming Mike Smith, right? We're all thinking, "Come we'll on, let that make, one in from way make up a, there, yeah. make a save, Mike." Then we watch, then because Remenda didn't pick up on this, um, I don't think, and, and, but it was clearly hit Russell's stick, and it's just like, oh, like this always. This is the first shot. First grade, you know, not even. It's a great. It's an kind of a grade B shot. Nice, you know, a hard shooting guy, Pasternak. But it was he was going to get that, and then all of a sudden, it's in the net because of the deflection. So that's that bounces can be bad things, and they often make the difference in a game. And they were it was well on their way to making a difference in this game until uh, bad pass by by a Boston player and Gaetan Haas puts it in the net on a on a really crafty goal. So this this NHL is so tight it is so so oh. very tight the games come down to almost nothing and this is a point that scotty bowman makes in in the book scotty which i've referred to numerous times now but it it's exactly true this it's not like it was even in the 80s where you're going to overpower other teams and so i think some people wonder why well why do you guys pick on dry and mcdavid and 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 it's because in this NHL, you can't afford to be that guy anymore, I don't think, who's the mm-hmm. one-way player. Because every little mistake, you know, it's the games are so tight. That there's no making up for it. You're just not going to have that opportunity to get an easy goal or two. And if you give up an easy goal or two, you're going to cost your team. And you're going to cost your team the playoffs. So it is a bit of a different world than existed in the past, uh, it, it seems to me. So bounces matter. And tonight, 
There wasn't a bounce on the Darnell Nurse shot, but there was something went wrong. Like just like That's almost Smith led in Smith almost led in that one from Pasternak, right? Mm-hmm. That could have been that moment for us. Yep. For the Oilers. Right after Oilers had tied at one one. That would have been a killer goal to give up. Wow. Somehow he fought it out. It seemed to go right through him and it looked like it landed on the goal line and, and that didn't go over somehow. So did it land whatever. on the top of his foot? Yeah, it was it was a weird bounce, and there was no real clean. I don't think they ever did show the overhead, or it didn't show anything. But uh, it was a it was a near thing for sure. I just got the puck luck on that one, and then the nurse shot that somehow went right through Halak. That's a that's a bad one to be to be given up. So, uh, <laughs> but you think you know when the team says we our goal today is stay out of the penalty box because of Boston's power play. And here they take a penalty three minutes in, and Boston scores five seconds into their first power play, and and you got your backup slumping goalie in that against a team that's lost one regulation game at home all year. You're thinking at that point, this is not going to be pretty, and yet they hung around at one nothing, and then when you know Boston never did score again, and the Oilers popped in uh, eventually four straight. So, I, you know, it's funny. I was saying. In my last game grades, Gaetan Haas has got to start to do something, right? Like, mm-hmm. or or you could see him out of the lineup. So mm-hmm. good for him. That line actually played very well tonight. They they were uh, smart defensively, and they got a goal. So that's a very good game for a for a fourth line fourth line unit. And they were often out there against pretty tough competition too. I thought I noticed. Maybe I was mistaken, but it looked like I was thinking, how does Boston always get this matchup with Bergeron against Haas and and maybe it's just because it happened a couple times, so you really notice it when it happens. And um, so, last line change. Yeah, last line change. Hey, your number, Bruce. Well, I'm I'm tempted to I'm tempted by these face-off stats of Shane and Drysdale, which were both excellent. But I think I'm going to default back to 65, uh, which is the number of points scored by the NHL's co-scoring leaders, Leon Drysdale and Connor McDavid. Uh, Drysaddle has his nose back in front because he's got one more goal than McDavid, 24 and 41 versus 23 and 42. But uh, uh, those guys are are just pushing and driving uh, the uh, the offense for the Oilers. Not really so much today. I mean, Drysaddle's assist was pretty cheap, and his goal was an empty netter, of course. But McDavid's goal was absolutely massive, and. When those guys score, the Oilers have a chance to win, and when they don't score, they really don't. And uh, they've been uh, driving the play uh, all year long and uh, tied for first place in the league. It's pretty impressive. Especially impressive when you got them playing on two separate lines from each other. Yeah, where, you know, you can say that the Oilers haven't had the wingers, but mm-hmm. those guys also make their wingers. McDavid certainly does. Maybe Dreisaitl needs a little, has needed a little more help with wingers all along than uh, some of us thought, including me. What a wow. difference, though, Yamamoto's inclusion in the lineup has made. He's just, it's just seemed like the jolt of skill, high-end skill. Don't speak. That they needed in that spot. And, um, you know, there's also Tyler Benson down there. It makes you think, geez, maybe we'll see Tyler Benson. And, you know, there's some, I've heard, well, you know, why didn't they bring him up at the start of the year? Or... But you know, maybe this is this maybe this is credit to Ken Holland here. Maybe he's brought up a player when he's overripe, when he's really ready to go. 
And here, here he is. He's right. He's stepping right in, looking like he belongs here, fully belongs here. The other day, I looked Bruce at players when they break in, like um, yeah, I saw that. in terms of my performance review, like where they mm-hmm. where they rank, and it was kind of fascinating. If you don't step in and you're not one of the owners' top ten players, your chances of actually sticking with the Oilers or even sticking in the NHL are are, are quite small. You got to when you come up and you're in, in midseason at least, and you're coming in that lineup, you got to be good to go, ready to go. And the players who aren't, uh, you know, and they're just they they play on the third line of the bottom pairing. They often don't. They sure don't stick with the Oilers. I think the only exception to that rule was uh, well, there was Zach Cassian who was established, and Ethan Bear, but he took a whole year in the minors. So good for mm-hmm. Kyler Yamamoto. Yeah, well, he basically took a whole year in the minors because he was sent down last yep. November. Yeah. And he got a basically a solid stint with, with time on the shelf. Of course, he had a wrist injury in there that set him back. So I thought after the last two years of him starting in the NHL and getting sent out, that this year the wise... Uh, a prudent move was to start him in the AHL and bring him up when he was ready. And you could say, well, maybe he should have brought him up a month ago, but I don't think there's any way he should have been here at the start of the season. And they kind of worked their way through uh, a variety of guys, and they finally got a belly full of a couple guys like Marcus Granlin and said, well, we got other guys in the minors that maybe can do a better job than this. And the funny thing is that you would expect your, your youngest uh, least experienced guys to be your least polished, and Yamamoto, he's he's really got a, a 200 foot game. Uh, he, you know, he's made strong defensive plays, and he's been a buzzsaw in the offensive zone. Today, a couple of a couple of warts, a couple of soft uh, backhand in the non-clearing third. Yeah. shots, both in the third period that led to Boston pressure. Yeah, it looked like looked like maybe the uh, the pressure got like he just kind of panicked and dumped it when he had a little bit of time, especially on one of those. But uh, uh, that's uh, uh, part of the learning curve. I mean, what what strikes me is that the his natural tendency to play strong defense and to make you know good strong plays on on uh, defending. Uh, the other team and you know the passing lanes and stuff. So he's uh, he's been a jolt. Now that's the first time that you could say that Leon has a been on his own line and b has two uh, wingers who both have skill who both can skate. First time. Yeah. So the Oilers have gotten you know they found these these top line wingers who are getting mm-hmm. the job done for a short stretch of games here, but. Cassians come from the bottom lines. Yamamoto's come from the minors, and Neil came in a trade. So um, good for good for somebody. Maybe Ken Holland. I don't know if that was the master plan, but the, of course, the Neil for Lucic trade I see was a huge, huge, massive win for the Oilers. I saw it from day one, and it's it's even more so now. But um, Cassian, you know, kind of earned showed last year he was capable of it, and he's taking he's taking the ball and run with it, and now Yamamoto's doing the same. So. That's what that's what a team needs, though, Bruce, doesn't it? it needs, and we haven't had in, in recent right. years is people stepping up and doing better than expected. So you know, Ethan, a, a defenseman who's in the AHL for three years or two and a half years, whatever Bear was down there for two, two years, years, stepping up and becoming a top four NHL team. Other teams get that all the time, and the Oilers haven't yeah. had that haven't had that in years. It seems to me so. This year's this year has to me a different feel for it, and this leads to my number. I'll just quickly get to my number. It's 
last year at this time, after 44 games, the Oilers had 45 points. This year they've got 49. So they're real 500 this year. Um, and real 500 is a team that's going to be battling for the playoffs. And I think this team, I think this team's going to make the playoffs and, uh, they're, they're on that path right now. So. Yeah. Well, they're, they're a real 500 in terms of, uh, they've won, uh, uh, half their games actually, uh, 22. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and with the five Bettman points among their 22 losses, their points percentage is 557, and the median for the league is 560. So right there, they're right smack dab in the middle. Well, in a 31-team league, smack dab in the middle is 16th place. So that's basically where you got to be to be in contention for the playoffs. And that's where they are through uh, now starting, you know, getting into the second half of the season. And You know, this is the first time that they got results from three straight games since two months ago, October 30th to November 4th, when they got two wins and a, and a loser point. And they've done the same now in the last three games. And in between, they were never able to string really anything together. I like the coach's lineup change. Caleb Jones, they needed another puck mover. The puck moving situation had gotten kind of desperate mm-hmm. um, with Caleb Jones. With I mean, I don't have I don't have anything against Logason. I don't think, like, I think he's a useful player too. But you just can't have Logason and Russell and Nurse and Larson all in the lineup at the same time. There's just not enough puck moving back there. You need one guy on every pairing who can do it. So Darnell Nurse could now defer to to Ethan Bear and Larson to Clefbaum and Russell to Jones. And suddenly things were quite a bit smoother. Last game they had two puck movers and they were on the same pair together. That's and when that's those the other guys thing. were on the bench, you know, they had to move um, Russell up to uh, right D. Uh, and the thing about Jones and the advantage he had, and the reason he's probably back in the lineup over Lagason is that he's capable of playing that right side. And it just gave him a more balanced trio. Like last game, they had to kind of waste Adam Larson a little bit on the third pairing, and he spent a lot of time on the bench. Today he was out there, and I thought he played a pretty strong game, Adam Larson. Yeah. I'd like to see the day, Bruce, where they have four puck movers. Mm-hmm. And two defensive defense. I think you need defensive defensemen. I think yep. you need at least one, definitely. And I think you probably need two uh, good ones. But is that your... It's uh, the cat. Yeah. But four. Four. Then you can have on your top pairing yeah. um, with McDavid or with Dreisaitl's line. You could have two puck movers. You could put maybe Clefbaum and Bear together. And then, then have Jones in the other pairing. And uh, Bouchard uh, will probably be the guy or Pearson. So we'll, we're, we await that day when that happens. And, you know, Darnell Nurse, we, I don't include him. I, I think it's a little unfair to not include Darnell Nurse as a puck mover because he's not, he's, he's not a great passer of the puck, but he moves that puck. Transports he that puck. puck yeah. Transports the puck. According yeah. to our numbers, Bruce, he's I think it's he's nice to have one guy who can do that for sure. And he's contributed really to a, a higher rate of grade A major uh, um contributions to grade A scoring chances at even strength than any other Oilers defenseman, Darnell Nurse. So we don't, I regularly don't I discount him as a puck mover, but he's he adds to the offensive play in all kinds of ways with his puck handling. So This is the third year in a row that Darnell's been the Oilers' number one scorer on the blue line uh, at even strength. Yeah. And, I mean, Clefbaum's a little bit ahead of him because he's got 15 points or whatever on the power play. But at even strength, Darnell scores more than anyone. And, you know, it There's may not, 
yeah, it may not be because he makes 140-foot stretch passes, but uh, uh, he uh, gets involved in the play, and uh, sometimes good things happen. So uh, he, he deserves, I think, credit as an offensive defenseman, even as he's not really what you'd call your classical puck mover. You know, I heard an interesting thing on the radio the other day, and what was particularly interesting, Elliot Friedman was talking to Bob Stauffer, and he said he was told by a player on condition of anonymity that the player, they were talking about puck-moving defensemen, and this player said to Elliot, uh, he said, you know, I was on a team that had four good puck-moving defensemen, and I got moved to a team that had basically one good puck-moving defenseman. You cannot believe what a difference that makes, is what he quoted the player as saying. Uh, and I'm immediately going, who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? And I settled on, I wonder if that's Alex Chason that he's mentioning, who came out of Washington, you know, with John Carlson, Dmitry, yeah. Dmitry Orlov, and, you know, some of these uh, uh, some of these uh, higher-end uh, uh, puck-movers coming to Edmonton, which at the time that he got here basically had top bomb. So... Anyway, just a, just a wild guess, but the quote itself, no matter which player he was talking about, talking about how much easier the game is to play on a team where they have, uh, you know, several defensemen who can get the puck going north. And, you know, it only makes sense, and it's it's been kind of a running commentary in the hockey community, analytics and otherwise, for some time now. That's why Ethan Bear has made such a huge impact mm-hmm. on this team. 100%. This, this is the- 100%. Him and Koskinen and a few other things. These are the big reasons to me. This is like two two wins isn't four points isn't that huge a difference between this year and last year, but it is too. It's the difference between being in play on, playoff contention and not being. And and just like it's the the, the games are, are are close and hard to win. It's hard to move up in the standings as well. We see like it's it's uh, you just tend to stay where you are. So you want to talk about hundred foot stretch passes? Look at how uh, Cassian got the puck Bear, on the backhand. play on that play where he set up McDavid, but how did Cassian get it? He got it from Bear, who was like basically at the hash marks in his own end and got it up to the far blue line uh, under control for the Oilers. And it turned from a defensive situation to an offensive one with one flick of the wrist from Ethan Bear. Yeah, he's made a number of, in that game, he made a number of really strong stretch passes. Yeah, beauty one to McDavid in the first period that almost yeah. like Connor in three. And just, you know, tape to tape. Man, you'd like to see that. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there. Thanks for talking today. All right. Thanks for another afternoon win for the Oilers. Man, they're invincible in afternoon games now, David. Who knew? Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.